I'm travel journalist Catherine Romine, and this is Banyan Tree's Compass Podcast, a series in which I talk with changemakers living purposeful, inspiring lives about the experiences that have shaped them and their visions for the future. Today, I'm thrilled to be introducing Xiaowei Ye, a sustainable fashion pioneer and speaker in China and across Asia who leads international brands to prioritize and achieve greater environmental and social responsibility. Xiaowei was born in Taiwan studied at New York University, and also earned Harvard University's Corporate Sustainability and Innovation Graduate Certificate. She's worked in magazines and the media throughout her career, including affiliations with Modern Media Group, digital video channel Nowness, and Bloomberg Green. In 2017, Xiaowei founded Ya 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 in Shanghai in order to push forward and positively influence the sustainability agenda in luxury markets in China, working in innovative ways with brands including Dior, Erdos Group, Caring, and Nike. Shawe, I am so happy to be speaking with you. I'm here in Bali and you're in Shanghai, correct? Yes, I'm currently in Shanghai, but I was in Bali a few weeks ago. That's one of the most wonderful, amazing places I have been for a long time. It is a very special place. We're going to talk later about what you've been up to lately. But to start, I'd like to ask you to look back, actually. What do you consider your frontier moment, Shawe? In other words, what personal experiences inspired a change in your life that led you in a new direction and catalyzed the path you're currently on? Well, I don't know if it was so dramatic as a frontier moment, but I remember clearly, vividly, it's because, well, as you say, I've been always working in the fashion media for a very long time. I was the chief editor of Modern Weekly, one of China's most influential publications for actually totally 12 years. And during my editorial shift, that's also the time when China's economy was booming and then luxury market was opening up. And also it's kind of we call it golden days for print media in China. So mm-hmm. given with all these opportunities, so I have a lot of exposure and then I've been talking with different designers, CEOs, and, and I have fully understanding of fashion industries. And then of course, like regularly go to fashion weeks or fairs and all this kind of stuff. But I think in 2015, it was the first time I was invited to Copenhagen Fashion Summit. Mm-hmm. And then during that time, actually, it was kind of like epiphany for me because before that, I thought like I really understand fashion industry inside out. I know the designer, I know the creative part, and later I know the business part, I know the consumer market, etc. But how come I don't know about its severe social and environmental impacts? So that kind of gave me a whole new perspective. Want to look into this industry I thought I was so familiar with. From that experience, I still want to curious about sustainability. I have to say I was quite ignorant before. Of course, you heard about something, but you never take it so seriously. Yeah, that was kind of wackling call. So mm-hmm. then I start have weekly columns in the magazine. And then with my editors, we kind of delve into many research aspect interviews. So so realize the richness of the whole subject. So so more and more I kind of feel like I want to dedicate my efforts uh, mm-hmm. into this area. Simply put, it would just make my life more meaningful (laughs) rather than just like writing about the latest collection from Paris or something like that. So from there, I participated more and I went back to Copenhagen Fashion Summit every year and I'm kind of advisor helping them because also while I was there, I kind of found shocking, like we're talking about the global fashion industry and the supply chain, right? And China is still the largest manufacturing place in the whole world and also the largest consumer market at that time. But when we were talking about how to solve fashion's problem, like there's actually no Chinese presence in the global summit. So I'm like, 
well, then how are you going to solve this problem without like involving engaging with China? So mm-hmm. that's why I stopped the advisor and trying to bring some Chinese pioneer brands or individuals to the summit. So at the end of 2017, I decided I just want to fully focus on this. So that's why I formed my small agency and mainly focus on consultancy. It's because I think from my experience in China, it's not so difficult to change the consumer mindset, but I think the change should be initiated within the industry itself. Like industry need to make some changes. If you convince the consumer, like we should buy sustainable product, we should buy these things, which is harmful for environment, whatever. And then when they went to the market, actually there's nothing existing. So what's the point? Like just keep saying like, we need to do consumer education. We should push the industry first. So that's why I decided to work with corporations, companies, designer institutions to make this change. Mm-hmm. And so how certain were you that you could make a difference when it came to sustainability and the environmental issues in the fashion industry? Like, did you believe that companies would actually listen to you or did you have any big setbacks or hurdles that you had to cross or overcome? Well, I'm not so certain they were listening to me, but I think they were listening to the consumers. They were listening to regulations. They were listening to the, the consensus, right? And the mm-hmm. demand from the global society. I'm just helping them to kind of clarify the situation, to tell them how important that it is, the importance. Why? Right? So of course they don't need to listen to me. I'm just a consultant, but they will have to listen to all this from the top, or from the peers, and from the consumer, from their stakeholders, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm quite confident they have to do it. But of course the hurdle is because first of all, sustainability is such a complex issue, right? It's yeah. It's like depends on which sector you want to take into and how broadly you want to, to link it with other sectors. So it can be very specific, but it can be just like a large issue as big as uh, climate change. So I think the real challenge you heard though is to what degree can you do it? Because everybody studies us, they all know there's a continued journey. There's nothing called 100% sustainability. So as long as you have a clear goal, and you really commit to the goal and there's certain there's measurement and there's trust. So I think that's kind of considered you are transforming towards a much more sustainable practice. And what do you consider to be success when you consult with a brand? Is it that you've educated them on these various issues and they are excited about taking steps to remedy them or how do you sort of judge for yourself? You see they're making really making some changes, but sometimes changes are not so immediate. Like one of the clients I work most closely and for a long time is Erdos. Erdos is one of the most famous heritage brands in China. They're being like 2021, they celebrate 40 years anniversary. Like 40 years might not be so long for some luxury brand, but it's kind of longest for yeah. China. And the world's largest cashmere providers. And then just because the nature of a cashmere, so they they understand how close is linked the product, the business, mm-hmm. their code DNA is linked with the natural environment. So that's something they need to care about. So it's not because greenwashing or all this, whatever, because it's the necessity of their business. And also because I choose to work with them is also because they are one of the few companies who has very integrated supply chain. So starting from the farms and then to the production line, to raw materials, to design, to distribution, to store, to customers, and to almost like everything. They have relatively clear control of the whole supply chain. Last year, they also built their first self-owned ranch. 
yeah, be totally fully like accessible. So every time when I work with them, I mean, I'm very happy. In China, like in few years time, you can see a lot of changes if a company committed to do that. And, and another satisfaction is I work with a lot of young designers, especially Chinese designer here. And then at the very beginning, like people ask you, oh, who is the sustainable designers in China and which are the sustainable brands? So there were two or three sustainable brands a long time ago. But now I was like, well, I don't think there's such a thing called sustainable designer or not, because for all the young designers I know here, whenever it's possible, mm-hmm. when they have the choice, they will choose sustainable material and sustainable practice because it's already kind of in their mindset. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I'm not saying 100%, but at least like 80% I know. As I say, uh, there's so many sustainable material out there which are available and which are affordable. And then uh, there's so many other infrastructures there to support them to to have this kind of manufacturing process or even recycling process. So it's kind of the whole full industry efforts, but at least from the mindset, I know like it's already integral part of their, their acknowledgement. Like that's what they have to do. Well, that's really inspiring to know that the younger designers and creatives are looking at things that way. And Speaking of, I know you started hosting an event called Shan Future Forum a few years ago to bring together mm-hmm. forward-looking fashion companies and CEOs, scientists, creators, entrepreneurs to discuss topics like regenerative fashion, biodiversity, and green technology. When I read American Environmentalist and Patagonia founder Yvonne Schornard's book, Let My People Go Surfing, I was so shocked to learn just how gigantic the carbon footprint and environmental impact are from the clothing industry globally even from businesses that do strive to be sustainable. So as you said, there's so much manufacturing in China and across Asia. Maybe you could share some facts or numbers regarding the maybe shocking impact of fashion on the planet. Well, I mean, there's a lot of shocking numbers. When I first attended the Copenhagen Fashion Summit in 2015, I have no ideas. I think arguably the whole total carbon emission of the fashion industry, I mean, some people say it was 8 to 10%, but some reports say it's 4 to 6%. If you compare with transportation, it's not that big. But I think the real impact of fashion industry is how close it is with consumers and how much it's influencing our concept about many things. Well, first of all, why is fashion important? Because textile and clothing industry are a fundamental part of our everyday life. And we talk about the global economy transformation. This has to be a key part because in 2021, the global clothing industry market size was like $605 billion. Wow. But most of these clothes we produce every year, like most of them are really underused. They say globally consumers throw away about 500 billion worth of wearable clothes each day. And almost every minute, there's a truckload of like a textile wells that's been sent to like landfills. If you go to any like shopping malls or fast fashion store or outlets or whatever, I think you will definitely know this is not exaggerating. As to fashion's impact, I mean, a lot of people say it's the worst, second most polluting industry after oil. Well, it's environmental impact mainly involved with four areas, waste, water, toxic chemicals, and energies. Mm-hmm. So, and then among all these processes, like a special dyeing and treatment of textile account for 20% of global industrial water pollutions. Well, we'll talk about regional agriculture and the nature system because fashion industry rely heavily on the whole earth system. From the raw materials to like the processes, it's really causing a lot of natural resources, which is already quite scale on yes. our earth. 
For example, like we all know cotton is a big problem about waters. There's the labor side. This is a data from World Bank. They say fashion has more than 3.4 billion employees in the whole value chain and mostly in low-income countries. But sweatshops, forced laborers, and child labor still exist in many of these areas. Huh. And so there are so many different things to address obviously huge huge issue well, that's why the whole sustainable issue was is very interesting because you, you kind of have to look at from the whole life cycles right the life cycle it links with the, the earth system it links with like a labor system it links with consumer mindset it links with economy and even now it's linking to like a virtual reality and so what are some of the innovations or technologies that you're seeing that are actually really making an impact or that you think will make an impact going forward well, I personally am most interested in new materials, right? So because we think if a lot of impacts coming from material stage, if you look at the whole like a kind of the carbon footprint of whole the process. So I think everybody is trying to come up with alternative material, either is well in terms of synthetic, we're trying to use recycled polyesters, RPET or recycled regenerative material to replace the virgin material. So I think in that sense sector like RPET is already quite successful and widely used but then in terms of natural material like what can we have to replace leathers cottons and and all the others so I think a lot of people is working on regenerative cottons or alternative leathers and then like those really interesting one like mushroom leathers but I think it's still in the early stage but this is a very exciting development and then quite important, I think, as I mentioned earlier on the key pollution and key environmental impact on the whole textile industry is from dyeing process. So I think any innovation in the dyeing process is people really focus on. Mm -hmm. And then like I'm participating in this part called Caring Generation of World. It's caring group trying to set up this. Uh, so every two years, they will select like Chinese startup who come up with solutions trying to solve some sustainably fashion issues. So during this process, we search around like startups in China. I mean, there are not as many as in Europe or the rest of the world, but they are actually getting have more and it's quite exciting. So for example, there's this company, what well, actually two. So they are both using bacterials or microbe or, or synthetic yeah. biology to do a dyeing jobs. So yeah. you don't need to use the traditional chemical. So you can imagine like how seriously it will reduce all the environmental impact for the whole dyeing process. Then of course there's processes like a no water dyeing, using ozone to dye. So you save a lot of water. So I think that's not as sexy as coming out with weird materials, but it's quite important. Yeah. Yeah. Because people are trying to solve the recycling problem, right? We all know we all need to go for circularity. And then I also mentioned there's so many textile waste in the whole world. So how do you recycle them? And then after recycle, how do you turn them into regenerative materials? One of the key hurdles and challenge is because if you are like mono material, it's not so difficult to recycle, but the most our materials in clothes is blend. So how do you separate them and both recycle them? So I think a lot of people are trying to tackle it. So in Hong Kong, like HK Rita, they come up with this new machine called Green Machine. I think it was launched two, three years ago. So basically what it do is like it separate like a cotton and polyester blend. So 
The, so the polyester part can be used going back as a polyester. The cotton part is still working on, they can go back to a cotton or can be another type of cotton blend, or even they can be this kind of they call ABS, which can help cotton to grow with less water. So oh. I think that's been very interesting and exciting. And oh. then guess where the first real green machine is being used commercially? It's actually Indonesia. Oh, wow. This factory called Kaha. Yeah, kind of want to go to see it. Yeah, that's amazing. Speaking of your travels, you're very well traveled. You studied in the US and you did this big trip visiting a lot of sustainable fashion related designers and institutions and manufacturers around Southeast Asia. How have these experiences affected your approach to spreading the word about sustainability throughout Asia and in China? What is a, a new learning curve for me was, as I said, like the initial reason I get into sustainability is because, of course, I know the the severity of this problem, but I'm also, yeah, I'm also trying to bridge like uh, what most people are talking about, many in Europe, to what's going on in China, since it's like the biggest production and consumer hub, and also with this rising like brain power. So for a very long time, China has always been my focus of work. And then, and I cannot say I already achieved a lot because China is very big, but with the government setting like the so-called double carbon target in 2020, like, like I want to have carbon peak by 2030 and then to be carbon neutral in 2060. So it become kind of almost national awareness. So I don't think I need to do a lot of like advocacy work anymore and also designers whatever people they all generally have this kind of mindset mm-hmm. yeah so now it's just really into like what kind of technology can really work what kind of policy can we work but in the meantime i mean we all know in the past few years with the global pandemic there's a lot of supply chain issues yeah some of them just got disrupted some of them got re- relocated and people are rethinking about the whole industry and how it should be laid out. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a huge focus is migrating to Southeast Asia in terms of supply chain and also is in terms of like uh, a potentially emerging next big market. Mm-hmm. So that's why I feel like I would like to go there. When you check on the existing informations, there's very little research have been done there or very little like initiative coming from those areas. So that's why I think this will be my new focus of like research and studying and hopefully to do something there. And then finally to form a kind of Pan-Asia perspective and practice and impact. Wow, that would be really great. It sounds like you kind of feel a responsibility to keep spreading the word and influencing and making changes in further and further places, which I think is exactly what the world needs. So Thinking of sort of all the possibilities, where would you like to see the planet in a hundred years? Can you paint a picture of what you hope or dream could be the reality in a century from now? Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't know. I don't I don't really think I'm such a visionary. Well, first of all, I think we all have very different sense about time right now, especially after pandemic. Yeah. So 100 years things for me is kind of unthinkable because I think there's so many current issues just right under our eyes. Right. Like I would love to solve the problem right now, the next three to five years or even you don't want to wait years. 100. <laughs> yeah. So like I really, and also because with everything changing so quickly, I, I don't think anybody can imagine a hundred years from now. 
Like, is Earth still going to be here? Is human <laughs> beings still going to be here? Or is this new type of beings? Like, at least in China, I think for the rest of the world too, like people are so crazy about the AI generated, like the, the chat GPT, like mm. what they can do. It seems like almost they can replace so many things what human being can do. So maybe one of the specific issues is to preserve humanity. <laughs> it's like now we're thinking saving the earth, saving other beings, saving the natural systems, because like human activity caused a lot of harm on them. But now like maybe we should also try to save humanity. Mm. And so in a best case scenario, humanity is intact. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> what would you see as that best case scenario of we're not all robots? <laughs> I mean, the, there's few key words being thrown around, right? I think abundance is a good word, right? But what does abundance really mean? So I think we all want to reach that state of abundance, but with probably newer structure, because I say I have this kind of blind face feelings, like, like this is terrible decades because we're facing a lot of changes, disruptions, but I think when 2030, not 100 years, like 2030 comes, I feel like there was going to have some critical transformation about new sources of energies. Mm. And then with the new sources of energy, there's new materials will be coming out. And there was a new way of productions and mm. this new way of creations, which will come with new kind of social orders or human relationships. So I don't know if Renaissance is a word or not, but the discovery or successful transformation of a new energy infrastructures and new material processing. Yeah. And now I just have to ask too, since you're in the fashion industry, what do you think fashion could look like in a hundred years? Well, I don't think we need fashion, <laughs> not even a hundred years, because that's why I always say like fashion designers should always think about fashion, right? I mean, they should together work with like farmers, scientists, data scientists or whatever, because I think in the future, I mean, fashion fundamentally physically it's a production but it's also symbolically it's also presentations right so we think about the different form of protections so it might not be close mm. yeah and different way of presentation it also might not be close and which is kind of already happening in the whole virtual space yeah right, right? So I think, as I say, I'm not so visionary, but for what I can foresee, maybe in the future, like the fashion, it might have these things, which has a lot of different function, different kind of presentation. And I hope it happens. So you don't need to waste so many resources, materials, but maybe a lot of things can be kind of like embedded into a small chips and this small chip can be embedded within our body. We can change, I don't know, the temperature, protections, the color, the shape, the look you want, but without any requirement of uh, materials. Wow, that is wild to imagine. Shalwei, <laughs> <laughs> this has been so much fun to speak with you, and I really appreciate all your you. knowledge and your experience and for sharing everything. Thank you very much for this opportunity. It's, it's fun to talk about the things, make you feel like more hopeful. And hopeful is exactly what I feel now. So thank you again. Really, I'm so inspired by the way you're pushing the conversation forward and helping affect change in this very, very massive industry. Thank you again.